Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I'll invite you to open your Bibles to two openings of Scripture. Exodus chapter 15 and Deuteronomy chapter 7. Exodus 15 and Deuteronomy 7. Exodus 15 tells us uh, um, of an incident, something that happened with the children of Israel. Just after God has led them across the, uh, out of the bondage of Egypt, led them across the Red Sea on dry land. You remember the story how that when Pharaoh chased after them, the waters came together and destroyed the greatest army that was on the face of the earth. It tells us that immediately following that, they went out into the wilderness and followed God's plan and direction for where, they wanted to, where he wanted them to go. It said that he came to a certain place named Marah. And uh, it was about three days into the wilderness, and they didn't find any water. And when they got to Marah, there was water there, but it was undrinkable. Now, we don't know if that means poisonous or just bad to taste or what. We don't know for sure. But uh, at any rate, the people couldn't drink it, and so they murmured against Moses, said, uh, you know, we're going to die of thirst out here. God showed Moses what to do to purify the water. He showed him a tree, and he cut down part of the tree and threw the tree into the water, which is representative or represents Jesus being sent to the earth. And it purified the waters. Now, I I want to uh, read beginning in verse 25. Moses cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, just like we said. And when he cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made for them, notice this last phrase, there he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. The word statute means he appointed something unto them. He made an appointment. Now, that doesn't mean he set a time for something. It means he appointed something to be. The word ordinance means verdict. So he issued a verdict, and he appointed something for his people. And there he proved them. Now, the word proved means to put to a test. There God put them to a test. He issues a verdict. He says, this is how things will be. And then he puts them to the test. Are you with me? So God's made a declaration. He can't lie. His word never fails. He's declared this is the way that it is. And now the responsibility is up to them. What's the test? Verse 26. And said, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord. Well, that depends on them, not him, doesn't it? That depends on the people and not God. If they will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and will do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes. They just issued a statute for them. So notice what he's saying. He's saying keep the commandments and believe what I tell you. That's the test. If you'll keep the commandments and believe what I tell you. Well, what's going to be the result? If they pass the test, what do they get? I will put. The word put is literally the word allow. I will allow none of these diseases upon thee, which which I have brought. Literally, that's allow to. It's not causative. It's permissive. I will not allow any of the diseases upon you which have come upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now notice what the statute is. The statute is, I'm the Lord that heals you. That can't change. This is the first 
name that God reveals himself to his people, Israel, in. There are seven different names that he identifies himself. Seven different times where he says, I am something. This is the first one. I am the Lord that healeth thee. So the statute is that God is the healer. He's the healing God. The test is, if you'll hearken diligently to the commandments of the Lord and believe what he said, that he's the healing God, then none of the diseases of Egypt will come upon you. None of the diseases of the world, we might say. Egypt's a type of the world. None of the diseases of the world will come upon you for because I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Let's start reading in verse 12. This is Moses' farewell address to Israel. He's going off the scene in not too many days hence. Joshua is going to be the one that leads them into the promised land that God has promised their forefathers. So let's start in verse 12. He said, Wherefore it shall come to pass, if you hearken to these judgments. Now at this point in time, they've got a lot more judgments than they did in Exodus 15. They've been given the Ten Commandments by now. They've been given other laws by the hands of Moses. Somebody said, and I've never counted them up, but somebody said there are 630 commandments in the Old Testament. That's a lot of stuff to keep. Man, you could mess up and miss one just not knowing it was there. So he said, wherefore it shall come to pass, if you hearken to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy which he swear unto thy fathers. Now that would include Exodus 15, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? It would have to include Exodus fifteen twenty six. And he will love thee and bless thee and multiply thee. He will also bless the fruit of thy womb and the fruit of thy land. Thy corn and thy wine and thine oil, the increase of thy kind or cattle. And the flocks of thy sheep in the land which he swear unto thy fathers to give thee. Thou shalt be blessed above all people. There shall not be one male or female barren among you or among your cattle. Notice verse 15. And the Lord will take away. Now this goes back to verse 12. If you hearken to these judgments and keep and do them. If you keep the commandments of the Lord, we might summarize. The Lord will take away from thee all sickness. Everybody say all. How much is that? It's every bit, isn't it? The Lord will take away from thee all sickness. And will put, here's that word put that means allow again. And will allow none of the evil diseases of Egypt or the world, which thou knowest upon thee, but will lay, allow them upon all them that hate thee. Now here you've got two Old Testament scriptures. Really the same promise made to Israel on two different occasions. Now the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. So if God is saying something twice, he must really mean what he says. And he must really want Israel to know what he means. And in both cases, it comes down to to two things. Here's the test. If you'll keep the commandments of God and believe what he said about himself, I am the Lord that healeth thee. Then you can walk in divine health 
and be free from sickness and disease. Now, what does that mean to us? Well, a lot of people would say, well, that was just for Israel. Have you ever noticed that a lot of people want to take away the good stuff and say it was just for Israel? And the devil's right there to help. He'll whisper in your ear and say, yeah, but that was just for Israel. But remember, the Bible says in Hebrews 8, 6, that we have a better covenant established upon better promises. That means you've got a better promise than the one that he made here twice to Israel about taking sickness away from the midst of them. Now, some people would say, yeah, but that means Jesus died for your sins. Well, how's that better for your body? See, if we traded a physical benefit for a spiritual blessing, then Hebrews 8, 6 can't be true. Hebrews 8, 6 would have to read, we have a different covenant established upon different promises. But that's not what it says. It says we have a better covenant established upon better promises. Now, what do you think about when you hear the word better? If you move from a four-bedroom, three-bath house to a one-bedroom, one-bath house in the bad side of town, right next to the railroad tracks, and you got to hear the train coming through three or four times a day, would you consider that a better move? Now, there may be things that you could think about that helped. It costs us a lot less. Yeah, but is that better? Well, except for the train coming through and not have enough room to live. See, we don't talk like that. If we move from the one-bedroom, one-bath house by the tracks to the four-bedroom, three-bath house, then we'd say, yeah, that's better in every way. We'd understand that being better. But what makes it better? It had everything that the first one had plus some. That's the only way it can be better. Otherwise, it has to just be different. So when the Bible says we have a better covenant established upon better promises, that means we have to have everything that the old covenant provided plus some. Now, the fact that Jesus did die for our sins and we don't have to make those sacrifices every year, that's better. But the promise concerning healing, the result of the promise of healing has been fulfilled because Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes we are healed. Are you with me? But God's test doesn't change. He still proves his people the same way. If you keep his commandments and walk in his statutes, believe what he said about himself and walk in his statutes. Now turn with me over to John chapter 13. How does this apply to us? Well, I don't know about you, but I'm not under the old covenant. The Bible says the old covenant has been fulfilled. So I don't have 630 things I need to keep. But I have one. There is a law of the new covenant. Jesus said in John 13, 34. A new commandment I give unto you. Now if it's a new commandment, then that means it has to take the place of the old commandment. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, the keeping of this new commandment, this love, this law of love, 
Shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have loved one toward another? So if you paraphrase that and take the Old Testament commandment in Exodus 15, 26, here's how God proves you. If you keep his commandment of love and believe that he's the healer, he'll take sickness away from the midst of you. Brother Hagin told a story that that, uh, was shocking to me. I always knew that we as Christians were supposed to walk in love, but nobody ever taught me about what that meant. I grew up in the Baptist church, and we Baptists knew that we were supposed to walk in love, but I, I can't ever remember a sermon about walking in love. And so when Brother Hagin started talking about walking in love and the importance of walking in love, that took me by surprise. I'd been saved for 20 years at that point in time. And I didn't know what walking in love was about or what it was supposed to be about. But he said this. He said that he was preaching in a certain church. And he'd preached for this pastor many times before. And there was a certain couple in this church that had been in the ministry at some time. But they were between churches or between ministry assignments. And so they were a part of this church. And so he's preaching along. I don't know if he was talking on this subject or if he just kind of went down a side trail. But he quoted 1 John 3 verse 15. 1 John 3 verse 14 says, We know that we pass from death to life because we love the brethren. Verse 15 said, Whosoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Well, in the course of his preaching, he's talking about hating your brother. And he said, That means mother-in-law too. So after the service... They went out to a little place to eat and they were reacquainting themselves and, you know, just having a time of fellowship in a little cafe or something. And he said, this lady was sitting across the the, uh, table in this booth and she said, Brother Hagin, you've got me all confused. He said, no, sister, you were confused before I got here. The truth of God's word just showed it up. So he said, what's the problem? She looked at him. She said, I hate my mother-in-law. And you said, quoting 1 John 3.15, Whosoever hates his brother is a murderer and has no eternal life abiding in him. You said, that means mother-in-law too. And Brother Hagin said, well, I'll have to plead guilty on that. I said it. She said, well, I hate my mother-in-law. Well, Brother Hagin said in telling the story, he said, I knew she really didn't because the Bible says the love of God she had abroad in her heart. But the problem is if we don't know about and develop that love, then we certainly aren't going to walk in it. So he decided to give her a little bit more rope to hang herself. So he said, well, okay, if you really do hate your mother-in-law, then you're on your way to hell. There's no eternal life abiding in you. She said, Brother Hagin, you know me. She said, you know I graduated from the full gospel seminary. She said, you know that my parents were pastors of a full gospel church, and I was born in the full gospel parsonage. Right next to the full gospel church. Brother Hagin said, Sister, I don't care if you've got 32 degrees from 32 different seminaries. If you hate your mother-in-law, you're a murderer and there's no eternal life abiding you. He said, and I don't care if you were born during the service at a full gospel church. On the pulpit at the front of the altar. If you hate your, if you hate your mother-in-law, there's no eternal life abiding you. Well, he said he could see her face getting all scrunched up. He saw that she was just about... Uh, you know, at the end of the rope. So he said, 
listen, I want you to do something for me. She said, all right, what is it? He said, I want you to look me right in the eye and say, I hate my mother-in-law. And at the same time, I want you to check down on the inside down here in your belly and see what happens. She looked at him without hesitation and said, I hate my mother-in-law. He said, what's happening down inside of you? She said, something's scratching me. He said, well, sure, that's the love of God. See, the Bible says the love of Christ constrains us. In other words, that love of God that's shed abroad in our heart, that love of God that's part of our new nature when we're born again, it'll try to lead us and guide us. But nobody ever taught us about following our hearts. So she said, well, what am I going to do, Brother Hagin? He said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to act like you would if you did love your mother-in-law because down inside you really do. Well, the meeting went on. It was scheduled for several weeks. A little bit later in that week, she uh, asked Brother Hagen at one of the services if he and Sister Hagen would come over after the service for some refreshments. She said, I've invited my mother-in-law and, his, and the rest of the, my husband's family over for a time along with some other people, and I'd like for you to be there. Well, Brother Hagen said, because we'd had that conversation a few days before, I was really interested to go. So he said he got there and the house was full of people and he met the in-laws and that kind of stuff. Just kind of as a sideline, he threw this out as explanation. He said her husband grew up with three sisters. The father died when he was a young teenager boy. And so he grew up pretty much having to provide for the family. And he said all of his life, growing up from the time he was a teenager... His mother and three sisters have told him what to do. Well, now that he's married, she wants to tell him what to do. So that was the rub between her and the in-laws. So anyway, they got over there after the service, went into the place, and after a while, the lady comes over to Brother Hagen, whispers in his ear, and she said, you know, Brother Hagen, she said, ever since we talked the other night, I've been thinking a lot about my in-laws. He said, she said, I don't hate my mother-in-law. They're lovely people. They may not do things the same way I do, but they're lovely people. So things all worked out. The next week, probably four or five days later, Brother Hagen got a call at the, he was staying with the pastor at the parsonage. They got a call just before the service, and it was this lady, and she said, Brother Hagen, my daughter has been diagnosed with epilepsy. And the doctor says in his 35 years of practice, this is the worst case of epilepsy he's ever seen. And she said, she's starting to have the symptoms to go into one of these grand mal seizures. There are a couple of things that we've learned to look for to kind of warn us and, you know, let us know what's happening. She said, she's in the beginning stages of this seizure. Would you stop by on the way to church and pray for her? Brother Hagin said, yeah, sure, we'll do it. So they're on the way over to the house. Not too far away, small town. So they're on the way over to the house. And Brother Hagin suddenly speaks up in the car and he says, Did y'all hear that? Everybody looks at each other and says, No, we didn't hear anything. What happened? Well, the Lord had spoken to him and it was so strong on the inside of him that he thought maybe everybody else heard it. Now here's what the Lord said. They're still in the car on the way over to the house. And the Lord said, When you get there, don't pray for the child. 
Don't minister to the child in any way whatsoever. But say to the mother, Satan, I'm walking in love. You take your hands off my daughter in the name of Jesus. Brother Hagin started to argue with the Lord a little bit on the inside. He said, Lord, what do you mean? He said, this came to his real revelation. And the Lord said, in the old covenant, I told Israel if they'd walk in my statutes and keep my commandments, that I'd take sickness away from the midst of them. Paraphrasing that in the New Testament language, you walk in my commandment of love, and I'll take sickness away from the midst of you. Well, he got there, and this this little girl, 12-year-old girl, I think she was, was going into this seizure. She had progressed and gotten a little bit worse. It wasn't full-blown, but it was close. And so she walked. he walked into the house to where the daughter was. And the mother was standing right there. And he uh, spoke word for word what the Lord told him to tell her to do. He said, I, never, I didn't even get the words hardly out of my mouth before she turned and said, Satan, I'm walking in love. You take your hands off my daughter. He said, as fast as you can snap your fingers, that thing ceased. Now, the follow-up on the story is he asked her some eight years later if they'd ever had any more trouble with this, these seizures with her daughter. She said there was one time in these eight years where it started to come back on her. He said, what would you do? She said, I said the same thing I did eight years before or several years before. Satan, I'm walking in love. You take your hands off my daughter. Brother Hagin said it came as real revelation to him. He said he never put those scriptures together ones that we just talked about and looked at it just a moment ago he said i'd never put those together but it has to mean that doesn't it if the test is to walk in his commandments and keep his statutes and the new testament commandment is the law of love then if we're walking in love we have to be eligible for it has to make us eligible for the healing power of god to operate amen turn with me over to mark chapter 4 or I'm sorry, Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. You remember the story about Jesus cursing the fig tree and the disciples drew it to his attention the next day when the fig tree was dried up from the roots. And we all love verses 23 and 24 when it talks about the operation of faith. Jesus answering said unto them, verse 22, have faith in God or have the God kind of faith. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Oh, those are wonderful scriptures. Those are scriptures that tell us that we can have what we say from our hearts. Tell us that if we believe we receive when we pray, then we can have whatever we ask for. We'll have whatever we ask for. But notice he's not through talking in verse 25. And when, everybody say when. And when you stand praying, that means the praying of believe that you receive when you pray. And when you stand praying, forgive. If you have aught, meaning anything against anybody, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. 
Now, what is Jesus doing and why in the world does he connect forgiveness or unforgiveness with the operation of faith? Because Jesus is being faithful to teach us and tell us about the number one hindrance to your faith working. Now, the reason that that story that I related to you about the lady with the daughter, the lady that hated her mother-in-law and had the daughter with the seizures is so important is because just a few days before Jesus said to Brother Hagen to tell her to declare that she's walking in love, that Satan must take her hands, his hands off of her daughter, she wasn't walking in love. See, some people will hear that story and say, yeah, but I'm not walking in love. I'm not walking in forgiveness. Well, neither was she up until a couple of days before. But when she made things right, it cleared the channel for her to receive from God. See, folks, every step outside of love is sin. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. We'll start in verse 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another has fulfilled the law. Some people have taken this out of context and, said, and, and used that to try to justify or prove or claim that you shouldn't go into debt. That's not what this verse means. Another translation that might bring out a little bit clearer meaning says it this way. There's only one debt that you'll ever owe anybody. And you'll never get that paid. That's the debt of love. It has nothing to do with debt or, or going into debt whatsoever. But what's it talking about? It's talking about loving one another. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another has fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. You recognize those as part of the Ten Commandments, don't you? And if there be any other commandment, well, there are. About 625 of them. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended or fulfilled in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. How do you know when you're walking in love? How do you know if you've really fulfilled love? Verse 10, love worketh no ill, no harm, no hurt to his neighbor, meaning to anyone. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And what law is he talking about? He's talking about love is the fulfilling of the law of Moses. Love is the fulfilling of the law of Moses. So back to Exodus fifteen twenty six, where God proved them saying, If you will keep my commandments and walk in my statutes, I will allow none of the diseases of the world upon you which have come upon Egypt. For, because, I am the Lord that healeth thee. I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now we could prove it with some other texts. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6 says, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which works by love. And here's the Holy Ghost inspiring Paul, who must have figured this out on his own too. 
that faith works by love. Now, if faith works by love, that means faith won't work without it. See, the problem with some people is not their faith. It's, they're not, it's the fact that they're not walking in love. They're harboring unforgiveness in their heart. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, you don't understand what so-and-so did to me. Uh, maybe I don't, but it really doesn't matter. Because so-and-so may not even know what they did to you, and you're the one held in bondage because you're in unforgiveness. See, unforgiveness doesn't hurt the other guy. It hurts you. Are you out there? Let me refer you to another scripture that you probably not looked at in this context. And that's over in James chapter 5. James chapter 5 verse 16. Now we know the previous verses. Is any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church. And let them, the elders, pray over them, the sick. Anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith, the declaration of faith, shall save or heal the sick. So he's telling the church what to do when you're past doing anything for yourself. When you're beyond doing anything for yourself, getting help or getting answers for your healing, the healing of your body on your own, here's what you do. You call for the elders of the church. And the declaration of faith, the vow of faith, shall heal the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. But now notice verse 16 is talking about receiving healing in a different way. He says, confess your faults. The word faults is sin. Confess your sins one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. In other words, he's saying, if you've got something against somebody and you're praying for your healing, it's not going to work. You're going to have to make it right between you and the other person. And then pray for each other that you may be healed. What's he saying? Saying the same thing Jesus did. Faith won't work. Receiving from God by faith won't work if there's unforgiveness in your heart. How do we do that? Finally, turn with me to Luke chapter 17. How do we forgive the way the Bible says to forgive? It's interesting. We won't take time to look at it, but it's interesting to, to note That in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32 it says that we should be kind one to another, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. See, under the old covenant, even in the gospels, the issue was forgive so that you can be forgiven. That's not the way it works anymore. You've already been forgiven. Now it's forgive the same way that God forgave you. Well, when did God forgive you? When you deserved it? When, he, when you ask for forgiveness, well, that's when you received it. But the work of forgiveness was done when Jesus paid the price on the cross. The Bible says Christ died for the ungodly. You and I qualified. When he died for us, we had a stony heart. We had a spiritually dead heart or spirit within us. And that's when you were forgiven. That's when the work of forgiveness was done. That you received that forgiveness when you made Jesus the Lord of your life. But the forgiveness was already accomplished. And that's the way the Bible tells us as Christians. With the love of God that's been shed abroad in our heart. That's the pattern for us to forgive. Not when somebody deserves it. 
but because we can love with the love of God and forgive the way God forgave us. Now, I know that's tough to live up to, but it can be done. Have you found Luke 17 yet? Jesus said, beginning in verse 3, Take heed to yourselves. If your brother trespass against you, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And the apostle said unto the Lord, increase our faith. Now, I don't know if they knew what they were talking about, but they stumbled up on something. They knew that forgiveness was a matter of faith, not feeling. Notice they didn't say, Lord, you're going to have to change our feelings about people. They said, Lord, increase our faith. And what does Jesus do? He tells them how to use the faith they have. The Lord said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say the word might is the word would. See, faith always speaks. That's how you can identify what somebody believes by just listening to the words that come out of their mouths. If you have faith, even as the smallest seed known to man, at least known to them, you would say to this sycamine tree, now he's comparing unforgiveness or the tendency not to forgive with a tree with deep roots. If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you would say to this sycamine tree, be plucked up by the root and be thou planted in the sea, and it should literally will obey you. In other words, you've got to speak to unforgiveness. See, a lot of times people are waiting for their feelings to change and then they'll forgive. Well, it never works like that. Because your feelings will follow your words, not the other way around. Your feelings will follow your words. Now, remember also that Jesus said to pray for those that despitefully use you and persecute you. Do good to those that hate you. Bless those that curse you. So when he's talking about using your faith for unforgiveness, it's a two-step process. Speak to the unforgiveness and command it to leave. Then pray for the person that's done you wrong. Every time you think about it, pray for them. What do you pray? Pray God's blessing upon them. And when you first start doing that, if somebody's done you wrong, you're not going to want God's blessing to be on them. So when you pray for God's blessing to be upon them, it's a matter of obedience, which makes it a matter of faith. You are by faith obeying what God said to do even though your feelings don't line up. Now, you do that long enough, and your feelings will line up with it. You'll come to the place where you'll forget what so-and-so did to you to the degree that it'll seem like it happened to somebody else and not really you. That's how the love of God works. See, real faith not only forgives, but it forgets. Now, let me qualify that a little bit. Forget doesn't mean not remember that it ever happened. Forget means you don't hold the same feelings of hurt about it. See, I've had people steal money from me. Well, I'm never going to put myself in a position where they can steal from me again. But I'm not going to hold the hard feelings against them because of what happened. 
I can't afford to if I'm going to walk in healing and health. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, they did something really wrong. Was it worth sacrificing your health over? It's not to me. I've come over these last several years to realize how precious divine health is. I see the value much more than I ever did before. And I'm not going to let anything get in the way of my healing. So, if you walk in his commandments, keep his commandments, meaning walking in love, and keep his statutes, believe that he's the healing God, he'll take sickness away from the midst of you and the number of your days you'll fulfill. It's an unchanging law of God. Any step outside of love is sin. So any step outside of love, run back in as fast as you can get there. Be quick to forgive and quick to repent. Cover both sides of the street. Stay over in the love of God. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand. Let's lift our hands and thank God that we only have one law to keep, and that's the law of love. And not only that, but he put his love on the inside of us to enable us to keep it. Father, what a privilege it is to walk in love. What a privilege it is to love the way that you love us, to love others the way that you love us. We choose to forgive. So we say, unforgiveness, depart from us. We choose to pray for those that have done us wrong, Father, on purpose. We choose to bless those that have cursed us. We choose to do good to those that have done evil toward us. We thank you, Father, that the love of God on the inside of us is growing. We're being perfected in love so that we can walk in forgiveness. We can walk with a pure heart and clean hands. And we can keep the channel of your blessing always open. Thank you, Father, for making that real in in each and every one of our lives. In Jesus' precious name. Everybody that agrees with that, say amen. 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 God bless you. Go walk in love this week.